The Anarchist's Workbench by Christopher Schwarz Published by Lost Art Press This recording is by Ray Defterius and is not affiliated or endorsed by Lost Art Press in any manner. Any errors or omissions are purely the fault of the narrator, as is any general bungling of pronunciation of names. Chapter 4. All the Mistakes Selecting the species of wood for a workbench is easy. Almost any wood that is sound and fairly dry will do the job. Deciding how to put those sticks of wood together is where the real agony begins. You could just pick a style of bench that looks good, or a design used by a woodworker you admire. You could buy a bench that is on sale. Those approaches can work. But they might not, and then you have to put your bench to sleep and bury it in the backyard. After building the $175 workbench, I had the time, energy, and floor space to investigate different workbench forms, build them, and work on them. I also worked for a magazine that was hungry for articles about building workbenches and shop equipment. This chapter details most of those forms and how they are fared in a working shop. But before we start comparing one bench design to another, it's a good time to think about what type of woodworker you are and what kind of woodworker you hope to be. Because that little bit of dime store psychology can help you make some important decisions. 5 Workbench Forms Different workbench forms are broadly allied with different woodworking trades. An obvious example is how the shaving horse, which is a low staked workbench, is used for all manner of green woodworking tasks, from rural chair making to making rakes, drags and hoes. And while I'm sure that it's possible to build a bulwark cabinet on a shaving horse, it's not an ideal place for it. So as you choose the form of workbench you want to build or buy, consider the tradition your work falls into. This will help you narrow your choices and perhaps avoid building three wrong benches before you get it right. I think there are five common traditional forms for western workbenches. Number 1. Staked Workbenches The earliest form of workbench we know of is a long and narrow slab usually about knee high. It has three to eight legs which are tenoned and wedged into the slab. Sometimes the tenons are round, sometimes they are square. This early form bench shows up everywhere in Greek and Roman cultures and the places they conquered. For many centuries there were both waist high and knee high versions of this bench form. When looking at period paintings and drawings, this bench appears to have been used for a wide variety of tasks and trades. You find people hand planing on it, building boats, general carpentry, chair making. The work holding could range from none, you used your body to secure the work, up to a fairly complex clamping mechanism that created what we now call the shaving horse. Other common work holding devices include metal planing stops, holdfasts, notches, pegs, and simple screw-driven vices. In some societies where this bench survived, it became quite specialized. I've seen variants in South America that are used for luthery, and the low stake bench was modified in Northern Europe for woodworkers who made buckets and casts 
wheels and shingles. There are even extant low stake benches that have a modern tail vice and face vice. But where this bench seems to excel is with most green woodworking tasks. Its low stance make it ideal for using your body's weight as a clamp, plus hewing with a hatchet, cross-cutting, mortising and planing. It's not as ideal for tasks that are easily done while standing, such as cutting fancy dovetails. The low stake bench also survived for many centuries among chairmakers who built post and rung chairs. Most importantly, it was a drilling station. The chair components could be secured with wedges and conveniently drilled with the woodworker standing over the work. In fact, these benches are still found in the hills of Appalachia and the Ozarks. I built a few of these benches and after using them for a few years, am convinced they are ideal for green woodworkers and those who pursue rural and farm woodcraft. Pros Simple construction requiring few tools, usable for a wide variety of green woodworking tasks. Cons It can be challenging to hold work for fine joinery. Thick slab construction can result in the benchtop warping. Angle legs don't allow you to easily add a shelf. Number 2. Timber Frame Benches these workbenches are constructed like a timber frame building. The components are big and squared off. The joints are square mortise and tenon joints, usually pegged and arranged with lots of right angles and sometimes a 45 degree angle or two. The top is typically a single slab of thick timber. These benches begin to show up in the written record in the 15th and 16th centuries. A prime example being Hieronymus Verex's title page for the book the Life of the Infant, circa 1580. This form of bench also shows up in Germany, England and France. While this form was made famous in the 18th century by A.J. Rubeau's multi-volume La Art du Menusier, it would be a mistake to label all of these stout timber frame benches as Rubeau workbenches. This form of bench shows up everywhere, including in Shaker villages. The massive and famous workbench at Hancock Shaker Village in Massachusetts is essentially a timber-framed workbench with eight drawers and two doors. Recently, I encountered another similar shaker bench in one of the western communities that was smaller and didn't have doors or drawers. This 19th century bench looked like a copy of the bench from the Virex title page more than 300 years earlier. While these benches were used for a wide variety of tasks, Rubeau shows them being used for marquetry. They are more commonly associated with the joiners' trade. Joiners were the people who outfitted a house with all the doors, windows, shutters and trim. They could also be responsible for some of the cabinetry with its doors and drawers. But joiners weren't producing the fancy cabinets with veneer, inlay, marquetry and the like. That was the job of cabinet makers. These timber frame benches usually had fairly simple work holding. On the bench top, you would have an adjustable planing stop and holes for holdfasts. The front of the bench usually featured a crochet, a hook for planing edges, or a leg vise. These benches rarely have a complex tail vise or tool tray, though it did happen. Sometimes, they would have a sliding dead man to help support big doors or boards when you work their long edges. Most woodworkers I know, myself included, would fall into the historical category of joiner. 
we make, by historical standards, pretty simple stuff. The bench's basic workholding and simple construction make it a good choice for joiners. Pros. Strong and simple joinery doesn't require a high degree of skill. Benches are heavy and can be adapted to be used in a variety of trades. Cons. Parts are large and can be difficult to source or dry. Large thick bench tops can be time consuming to laminate. Monolithic slabs are prone to warp. Number 3. Panel Workbenches This form of workbench seems to have originated in Great Britain, then it emigrated to the United States. It shows up in the written record in the early 1800s, Peter Nicholson's The Mechanic's Companion, 1812, though I suspect it might be much older than that. This bench is built using thin and wide panels to create a stiff box. Then it has some thicker components for legs and sometimes stretches. The U-shaped box that creates the bench top requires much less wood than a timber-framed workbench, a big plus for an island nation which had to import a lot of its timber. These benches can be assembled with nails, screws or traditional joinery. And the work holding is usually pretty basic. A planing stop is typical on the bench top, and some sort of screw-driven face vice is typical for the front. The front apron of the bench is typically pierced with holes for pegs or holdfasts, which are used for supporting long stock. In the UK, this bench shows up in almost every sort of shop. I've seen it in high-end ateliers and in barns. When this bench immigrated to the United States, it was adopted by the carpentry trade. As the United States turned increasingly to stick-built houses, this bench became the first thing carpenters would build on the job site, using dimensional lumber. Those days are long gone, however. If there's a bench on a job site, it's likely plywood or sawhorses, or a Black & Decker workmate. When it comes to simplicity, portability and economy, a panel bench, which I call a Nicholson bench, cannot be beat. You can build one in two days with just a handful of tools and dimensional lumber. Why isn't this bench my favourite of all time? We'll get to that in a bit. Pros. Benches are lightweight, inexpensive and easily made with a limited toolkit. Can be made quickly and without any machines and with little wood. Cons. Front apron can impede some clamping operations. Thin components can warp easily if wet. Benches lightweight can be a liability if the bench is small and can be moved around too easily. Number 4. Built-in benches Benches that are built into the structure of the surrounding buildings have been common for many centuries. It makes economic sense to use your shop's building to help support the workbench. These benches show up frequently in German paintings from the 1600s and are still in use today. Many old houses have a built-in workbench in the garage or basement. These built-in benches can take many forms. They might have a slab bench top or be made from thin panels. The legs can be made in almost any form. I've even seen trestle table legs on a built-in bench. The work holding is usually basic. Maybe a vice is attached on or below the bench top. Who uses these benches? Today I see them mostly in garages 
where they are used for home maintenance and auto repair. While you can build fine furniture on them, built-in benches can be frustrating because the bench is fixed. You can't pull it to the middle of the shop and work all around it. A plus for all other workbench forms. Pros. Bench is economical and stout thanks to affixing it to a building. Can be made easily with almost any toolkit and budget. Cons. Some workholding operations can be awkward due to the immobility of the bench. Bench cannot be moved without taking it apart. Built-ins. The bench that's hard to see. When I first saw a drawing of the 18th century French workbench, I was amazed that this bench form had been hiding in plain sight for hundreds of years. But little did I know how myopic I was. Though I'd written two books about old workbenches, I had neglected the workbench form that is likely the most common in North America. In fact, I had actually owned one of these benches in the first house I bought in 1992 with my wife Lucy in Lexington, Kentucky. But somehow, that fact didn't register on my brain pan. When we bought our Victorian cottage on West 6th Street, I was thrilled by its wooden frame garage from the early 20th century. I'd planned to set up shop there until the termite inspector told me the thing was about to collapse. So instead, I stored my tools and machines in there, mostly stacked on shelves around the perimeter of the structure. Then I set up shop on the house's back porch which was stooped over from rot instead of termites. That was the end of the workbench story. Fast forward about 20 years to 2013. Michael Burry, a restoration carpenter, had discovered an intact 18th century workshop outside Boston that had most recently been used for storing toys. And I got to visit it. It was a white clapboard building and the interior was a time capsule. The bench room was lined with built-in workbenches and evidence, everywhere, that the building had been an active hand tool workshop. It hit me that the small shop was similar to my old garage in Lexington, lined with built-in workbenches, shelves and windows. Then I recalled a dozen other basement and garages with similar built-in workbenches. Why had I never thought much about them, or written a single word? built-in workbenches are everywhere. And they deserve some ink because they might be the catalyst that turns a casual DIYer into the next James Cranoff. Modern built-in workbenches are typically made from a frame of butt joint 2x4s with a bench top that is 3 quarter inch thick construction plywood screwed to the framework. Sometimes the 2x4s form a rectangular box that supports the bench top. Other times, the 2x4s are angled to support the bench top. You almost always have some shelves above the bench top that are lined with coffee cans filled with rusty screws and bolts. If you're lucky, the bench has a vice. Sometimes it's a small quick release vice from the hardware store. Other times, it's a mechanics vice bolted to the top of the workbench. Surprisingly, the benches at the workshop outside Boston, circa 1789, aren't much different than modern built-in benches. The tops are supported by a simple framework, legs prop up the bench tops at regular intervals. What is different about the 18th century built-ins is that the bench tops are solid wood instead of plywood, likely a thick softwood. And some of the old benches legs had leg vices and parallel guides. The old shop also had a built-in lathe, which isn't typical in a modern garage. 
but the walls were lined with shelves and tool racks, a feature that hasn't changed in 230 years. Number 5. Cabinet Makers Benches The highest evolved form of workbenches emerged in the late 18th or early 19th century. From a construction point of view, it is ingenious. The base typically is built in the style of a trestle table. It is strong, does not require massive components, and usually can be knocked down for transport. The top is usually laminated and wrapped by a skirt that then becomes the rear wall of the tool well. Sometimes these skirts are dovetailed around the bench. The vices are highly refined. The face vice is driven by a screw, usually metal, and its large wooden jaws run parallel to the bench top thanks to two steel bars. The tail vice has a moving box, usually dovetailed together, that is powered by a steel screw as well, though wooden versions absolutely exist. The bench usually has square dogs, either wood or steel. Other common features include a drawer below the bench top and sometimes hold fast holes, though who needs them with the tail vise? Gone is the planing stop found on earlier benches, which can leave marks on your work. This bench form is readily made in a factory. The bench top can be made from smaller pieces that are glued together instead of one massive slab, and the whole thing comes apart in minutes. The top lifts off the base. It is held by gravity and rests on wooden or steel pins that stick up from the base, so you can pack it flat and ship it. These benches are ideal for people who do fancy work. They are preferred by woodworkers who do fine joinery, marquetry, carving, chair making, veneer and so forth. Like all workbenches, the quality of these benches depends on the maker or manufacturer. Because this form of bench is so beloved, there are many cheap variations out there that look like the real thing, but aren't. When built well, however, this form works like a finely tuned guitar. Pros Good examples can hold work firmly for a wide variety of operations. Vices offer simple solutions to many work-holding problems. The tool tray is beloved by some. Cons. Construction is complex. The bench's base is not ideal for working on the edges of large doors or boards. Poorly made examples are misery to work on. Now add, mix and combine. So are you a green woodworker, a joiner, a traditional carpenter, a home DIYer, or someone who aspires to work at the top of the furniture trade? Once you know that, Picking a bench form, and eventually its vices, is more straightforward. Note that there is a good deal of elasticity in these categories. You can outfit a panelled bench with vices from a cabinet maker's bench, or make a built-in workbench that can handle a lot of tasks of a joiner. As you'll see, I stretched these categories myself during the last 20 years as I built all but two of the following workbenches. The $175 Workbench, 2000. Benchtop dimensions, 2 by 7 eighths of an inch by 26 and 3 quarters by 70 inches. Materials, yellow pine. Joinery. Top is laminated. Ends are drawboard mortise and tenon joints. Ends are joined with bolts, nuts and washers. Top is attached to the base with long screws through an intermediate cleat. This is a typical timber frame bench built with knockdown hardware 
instead of proper massive joints. The entire bench is made from yellow pine, which is now hard as a rock. The front legs are coplanar to the front edge of the bench top, which is great for jointing edges and working on the ends of boards. The top is pierced with three rows of three quarter inch diameter dog holes, which were once used with the Veritas Wonder Dog, a surface mounted end vise. The top is attached to the base with long screws through thick cleats. Not ideal. In its current form, the bench has a record face vise and a blacksmith made planing stop. The knockdown hardware has never been knocked down, despite the bench's frequent migrations in Ohio, Indiana, and Kentucky. This poor bench has changed so much during the last 19 years that it's almost unrecognizable. Some might say the same thing about me. Despite its oddness, I still love it. The top has remained remarkably flat through the years, proving the advantage of using a resinous softwood for a bench top. It is in many ways almost a copy of the 1580 bench from Hieronymus Verixper's The Life of the Infant, although I hadn't seen the bench when I designed this one. If I had to rebuild this bench, it would be much the same, except I would remove all the knockdown hardware and make it with simple mortise and tenon joints, like the Virix bench. I like the record quick release vice for the most part, though it is not as versatile as the leg vice. Pros, it's an inexpensive bench to construct for someone with basic woodworking skills, small scale woodworking machines, and some hand tools. In use, it's easy to clamp work anywhere on the bench top thanks to its lack of aprons or skirting. Cons, the knockdown hardware was a pain to install and I've never had to use it. I wish the bench top was longer. It's 70 inches long now. I don't know why. An 8 foot bench would be better. Power Tool Workbench, 2002. Bench top dimensions, 2 and 7 eighths of an inch by 26 inches by 53 and 3 quarters. Materials, yellow pine, plywood for drawer unit. Joinery, bench top is laminated, ends are drawboard mortise and tenon joints, ends are joined with commercial bent bolts from Lee Valley, top is attached to the base with long screws through steel L brackets. I built the power tool workbench for my home shop, which was small and cramped thanks to a lot of unnecessary tools. I needed a workbench that was an outfeed table for my table saw, could store some tools and allow me to do some handwork. I was inspired to build it by Glenn Huey, one of our contributing editors at the magazine. He had an old desk behind his table saw that also served as his workbench. Like the $175 workbench, this bench is a timber-framed form with knockdown hardware. By this time, I had graduated to using fancy bench bolts instead of home center carriage bolts, something I don't plan to repeat in my life. You'll hear a lot more on this in a following chapter. The bench top and base are yellow pine. The draw cabinet is made from Baltic birch plywood. There are a lot of things I don't like about this bench. The bench top is too short. 53 and 3 quarters. There initially was no face vice, there is one now, and the twin screw vice on the end is fussy. I had hoped that the twin screw would be a do everything vice. I planned to use it as both a tail vice and a face vice. That didn't work out. When I used it as a tail vice, it didn't have the grip of a dedicated tail vice with a single screw. 
As a face vise, it was fine, except when I needed to dovetail 24-inch wide carcasses. I didn't have enough room between the screws. A design flaw on my part. Also, at the end of the bench top is a planing stop built with T-track and star knobs. A piece of plywood moves up and down on the end of the bench and is cinched in place with the star knobs. It is surprisingly effective and robust. Another lesson. The draw box is always in the way. It interferes with clamping things to the bench top, and there isn't enough room between the draw box and the bench top to use a hold fast. After working with it for a couple of years, I set it aside. I later gave it to my father, who needed an outfeed table for his table saw, storage for his tools, and a little work area for carving. It worked great for him, until a hurricane and a storm surge left it floating like a cork in his South Carolina garage. All the metal bits rusted, and the wood was covered in black goo. I thought it was a loss. After my dad died, it was one of the few things I took home with me. Surprisingly, I got all the metal parts loose and cleaned of rust. The bench is again in my workshop. Pros. The best outfeed table I've owned for a table saw. Inexpensive raw materials. Had a lot of lessons to teach me about workbench design. Floats. Cons. Bench top is too short. Drawbox is in the way of many operations. Twin screw is not ideal as a do-everything vice. The 24-hour workbench, 2003. Benchtop dimensions, 3-inch by 27-inch by 61-inch. Materials. The top is a Baltic birch plywood edged with yellow pine. The base is yellow pine. Joinery. The ends are made with drawboard mortise and tenon joints. The end assemblies are joined to the long stretches with commercial bench bolts. The top is joined to the base with screws and 5-inch L brackets. This bench is another child of the $175 workbench, but it has a plywood top which is surrounded by yellow pine skirting. I built 5 or 6 of these benches while on a travelling woodworking carnival circuit with the ShamWow people and the sketchy guys who sold router bits that had fallen off a truck. At each stop on the circuit, my co-workers and I built one of these benches and gave it away in a raffle. Like its sister, this is a timber frame bench made with knockdown hardware. The bench top is the interesting part of the bench. It's made from two sheets of three-quarter inch Baltic birch plywood, ripped down the middle, stacked and glued. You end up with a bench top that is about 3 inches by 27 inches by 60 inches for about $100. After gluing up one bench top using clamps, cores, buckets of water and all our anvils, I got wise. I laminated the top pieces and used screws as clamps, removing the screws after the glue had set up. The plywood tops were remarkably flat and stayed that way. The least fun part of building the bench was adding the skirting around the top to hide the raw plywood edges. This skirting was joined with finger joints or dovetails, depending on my mood. If I built this bench again, I would skip the skirting and paint the raw plywood edges. Or learn to love raw plywood edges. The other thing I didn't like about the plywood top was the final flattening. We got these plywood tops quite flat from the get-go. But to get them perfect, whatever that is, I had to hand plane them, and occasionally you would plane through the plywood surface veneer, exposing layers of ugly. 
pros, Dang flat benchtop that stayed flat. Inexpensive raw materials, benchtop is easy to glue up with drywall screws and yellow glue. Cons, piss ugly. The knockdown hardware is likely unnecessary and adds complexity. Yellow Pine Rebo 2005. Benchtop dimensions, 4 inches by 24 inches by 96 inches. Materials, yellow pine, vast joys ash. Joinery, drawboard mortise and tenon joinery throughout. This bench, a true timber frame bench, was my first brush with ancient forms. It is a reasonable copy of the bench forms shown in Rubeau's La Art du Menissier, but without the fancy sliding dovetail joints and with lots of redneck yellow pine. I built it using massive mortise and tenon joints. Every joint is drawboard. The work holding on this bench has changed through the years. When I first built the bench, I installed a leg vise and a crochet on the front face of the bench. You don't need both, but I wanted to experiment with both. The leg vise was a metal screw and I added a maple parallel guide. The bench top had a planing stop, without metal teeth at first, plus holes for holdfasts. Later, I added a homemade wagon vise. Then I swapped that out for a bench crafted tail vise. This bench lit a fire under my butt. It was my first peek at what a workbench could really be like. The bench was enormous, and it was blissfully easy to work on. I thought I would have to decode how to work on the bench, but I took to it immediately. The yellow pine performed admirably, just like it had in the $175 workbench. After it dried, it became hard and stayed remarkably flat. Though I loved this bench, I sold it after I left the magazine in 2011. My wife and I were freaked out about money at the time. I had just said goodbye to an $80,000 annual salary, and we didn't have room for all my workbenches. I miss this bench. Pros, cheap to make. Material is durable and stable. The design, which is not mine, approaches perfection. Cons. You need a lot of clamps to make the laminated bench top, and you need some lightweight machines to do this job in weeks instead of months. Yellow Pine Nicholson, 2006. Benchtop dimensions, 2 and 3 eighths of an inch by 27 inches by 96 inches. Materials, Yellow Pine, the vast jaw is ash. Joinery. The top is glued up from three boards to get the top wide enough, plus there are other boards that add thickness. The ends of the base are drawboard mortise and tenon joints. The top and the base are connected via the aprons and giant notches in the end assemblies. This was the second bench featured in my 2007 book, Workbenches, From Design and Theory to Construction and Use. And it was my first workbench built using wide panels. I followed Nicholson's instructions as best I could, but there were still some lessons to be learned. This bench design is adapted from several old benches from Great Britain and the United States. Its angle legs are unusual, but they didn't really make the project more difficult to build, or the bench more stable in use. The bench has a leg vise for the face vise, and a homemade wagon vise for the end vise, which still works remarkably well. The top and the front apron are pierced with holes for holdfasts and pegs, 
After I first built the bench, I added two of the commercial aluminium planing stops, the ones that move up and down with the small thumb screw. They are hateful things. They are difficult to install and the thumb screw on one of them snapped within a few weeks. I removed them, patched the mortises and added a wooden planing stop instead. The most interesting lesson this bench offered was about yellow pine and its limits. The stuff I had used was clear and pretty dry. During this phase of my bench building life, I cut the blanks to length and let them dry for a week. That would be dry enough. Not so with this bench. The wide boards for the bench top curled up after they were glued up, so there was a lot of flattening to do to get the bench top working. Much more work than my other thick laminated yellow pine tops. Also, I learned that a single layer of yellow pine was not thick enough for a hand tool bench top. It was too springy. So I added a second layer below the bench top, which fixed the problem. In use, I find the front apron frustrating. I clamp work to my bench top quite a bit, and the apron gets in the way. Sometimes hold fast to the right solution. Other times I clamp the work between dogs using the wagon vise. But many times I prefer the direct approach with F-style clamps or bar clamps. This bench, however, does not always cooperate. This bench currently resides behind my French Oak Rubeau workbench, and I use it all the time. It's a good bench, but it's not my all-time favourite. Pros, inexpensive materials, easily and quickly built with hand tools only, lightweight and easy to move around, but not so light that it lurches during planing. Cons, front apron interferes with some clamping operations. The thin bench top, about 2 and 3 eighths of an inch, doesn't play well with commercial holdfasts. Holtzapfel Workbench, 2007. Benchtop dimensions 3 inches by 24 and 1 8 by 72. Materials. The top is ash, the base and vice draw are maple. Joinery. Mortise and tenon joinery throughout. This bench is a bit of a bastard design-wise, and it is likely misnamed, my fault. But it's a dang fine workbench with a difficult to say name, Holtz Zuff Fell. The bench has an ash bench top and a maple base. It is a true timber frame bench with no knockdown fasteners. When I first built the bench, I installed a wooden twin screw vise as the face vise and a large quick release vise as the end vise. This combination seemed ideal. The twin screw vise would be great for dovetailing and planing boards on edge. The quick release vise was easier to install than any other end vise had encountered. Plus, it could do some face vise like chores. For the most part, everything worked out. The design was from a 19th century text by Charles Holtzapfel, a tool merchant in Great Britain. But I made some, okay, a lot of, changes to his design. In essence, his design showed a fancy knockdown cabinet maker's bench with a twin screw face vise. I transformed it into a timber frame workbench with a twin screw face vise. Since building it, the only significant change I've made to the bench is I added a removable leg vise. Now I can swap back and forth between a twin screw with 24 inches between the screws, great for dovetailing, and a leg vise, great for everything else. If I could change one thing about the bench, it would be to move the row of dog holes close to the front edge of the bench top. 
I plan to make this change someday. Having the dog holes up near the front edge is a great help when using joinery planes with hangy down fences, such as plough planes. Oh, I also added a wooden planing stop. Pros Stout, versatile, and you can clamp almost anything anywhere to the bench top. Twin screw vice makes dovetailing easier. Cons Dog holes should be closer to the front edge of the top. LVL Workbench, aka Glubo, 2009. Benchtop dimensions 2.5 inches by 24 inches by 94 inches. Materials Laminated Veneer Lumber, LVL. Joinery The top is laminated LVL, as is the base. The base components are joined with lap joints, bolts, washers, and nuts. The top is attached to the base via lag screws through the base and into the bench top. One of my favourite artists in Charleston, SC, David Pools, works a lot with laminated veneer lumber, LVL, which is basically jumbo thickness plywood. After seeing what he could do with the material, it has striking structural properties. It was a short mental hop to use it in a workbench. There's always a day when you aren't building a workbench that turns into a day when you are. I was eating lunch with the magazine staff at a new noodle restaurant when Megan Fitzpatrick and I began staring at the restaurant's tabletops. They were made from LVL that had been ripped, turned 90 degrees and glued up. Imagine a tabletop made entirely of the raw edge of plywood. And so that afternoon I began looking for LVL beams so Megan and I could build a workbench. For me, this was an experiment with a new material, particularly for the bench top. Would it be as flat as the other plywood benches I had made six years earlier? Would the material be a pain to work with? The bench itself looked like a Rubeau bench, but it is a fake. It uses fasteners and half-lap joints in the base. The top is bolted down to the base. A big mistake. The face vise is a leg vise, and we added a small quick-release vise for the end vise. In my opinion, the LVL worked great for the bench top. This was definitely a project where machines were necessary. LVL is tough stuff. It was murder on our machine's carbide edges, and it was merciless to the edge of hand planes. But after we glued it into a bench top, it started flat and stayed flat to this day. The base of the bench was, my opinion again, a failure. Editor's note, not just your opinion. Bolting together the base wasn't a good idea. The layers of the LVL were crushed by the bolt heads and washers, making it difficult to get a solid joint. And attaching the top with lag screws wasn't ideal either. The leg vise easily pushed the bench top off the base in short order. If I built this bench again, I would use mortise and tenon joints throughout, no metal fasteners. That would solve all the problems we encountered. Despite my dire words above, the bench is still in daily use in our shop. We have made the thing work with shims here and there. Pros, LVL stays flat in service. After 11 years it is still perfectly flat. Cons, LVL is hard on your machines and worse on your hand tools. Some people might not like the non-traditional look. Using mechanical fasteners on the base is not a good idea. Though LVL is a non-traditional material, Traditional joinery is still the best way to deal with it. Cherry Slab Rebo 2010
benchtop dimensions 4 and 3 eighths of an inch by 18 and a half by 67. Materials. The top is two slabs of black cherry. The legs are cottonwood, populus deltoidus. The stretchers are white pine. The current leg vice jaw is maple. Joinery. The base is constructed with drawboard, mortise and tenon joinery. The base and top are joined with the French tenon sliding dovetail. After experimenting with alternative materials and bolts, ha, I was eager to build another true timber frame bench, this time with traditional materials and traditional tools only. I wanted to make a slab top workbench as shown in Roubaix with the sliding dovetail joint shown in his drawings. This also was my introduction to the world of wet and sometimes rotting slabs for bench tops. The cherry slab came from woodworker Ron Herman's parking lot. It had been sitting outside for a season or two and had some rot. But it looked like there was enough sound wood to make a bench top. I made the legs using cottonwood posts from the garden centre. The stretchers were white pine. For work holding, at first I used a leg vise with a parallel guard for the face vise. One day, a student cracked the one and three quarter inch thick maple jaw in half while clamping something in the vise. I was shocked. I replaced the vise with a bench-crafted classic vise and crisscross. And I made the jaw from three and a quarter inch thick maple, laminated from two layers of eight by four maple. For the end vise, I used a vintage Sheldon quick-release vise. The bench features a row of dog holes, a few holdfast holes, and a rack on the back edge of the bench top. A first for me. The planing stop is a vintage metal doohickey from Miller Falls. You adjust it up and down with the screwdriver. It's not an improvement over a blacksmith-made stop, I'm afraid. Also notable, the shelf has a door covering it. More on that stupid move in a moment. Building this bench by hand was great fun, except for ripping the top to width. I do miss getting paid to build stuff entirely old school. This bench offered up many good lessons. Here are some of the important ones. Rotted slabs are no good for bench building. Even after cutting away all the punky stuff, the cherry had been weakened by its time out in the weather. So I filled splits and voids with a flexible epoxy used to patch rotten windowsills and columns on historic houses. The stuff works well, but there were some unexpected side effects. Squeeze out was a problem, because it continued for about two years. As the wood moved, the epoxy would bulge out like a vein, and I would have to plane it flat every so often. Also, one of the rotted bits unexpectedly popped off during a seminar. I bolted it back on. Mostly I learned that thick slab bench stocks take a long time to dry. Two years isn't enough. In fact, some slabs keep their moisture for more than a decade. And as they dry, they can warp. Aside from the Miller Falls planing stop, which regularly gets gummed with sawdust, the work holding is fine. It's all stuff that has proven itself many times before. The silliest thing about the bench is the door that covers the shelf below. I put it there because someone, the magazine's art director, photographer or publisher, thought that the bench needed something down there for a photo shoot, so it didn't look identical to my earlier benches. I'm a team player, so I made the lid on the morning of the shoot. But it's not a good idea. If you put something in the compartment and close the lid, then you will stack stuff on the lid, making the compartment inaccessible. I haven't removed the lid, 
I keep it as a reminder that some bright ideas, and even bright people, should be ignored. Pros Slab workbenches are beautiful. The work holding is great. It's a fun bench to build entirely by hand. Cons Slabs can be wet, rotten, and difficult to move around. Because of rot, this particular bench top ended up a little narrower and a little shorter than planned, at 18.5 by 67. Thanks, saprophytic fungi. IKEA Countertop Workbench 2013, aka Tubo. Benchtop dimensions 3 by 24 by 96. Materials Beach Benchtop with Douglas Fir Base. Joinery The base is joined with lap joints, bolts, washers, and nuts. The top is joined to the base using lag screws. Soon after quitting my job at Popular Woodworking, the magazine asked me to help produce some videos as an independent contractor. I loved to eat and was scared to death, so I agreed. One of our first projects was a video titled Build a Sturdy Workbench in Two Days, probably the least snappy video title ever. In this video I built a workbench that used two IKEA countertops to create the benchtop. The base was made by bolting together Douglas fir legs and stretchers. It was similar to the LVL bench above, but with a different bench top. And it had only one vice, a Jorgensen quick release vice in the end vice position, plus dog holes of course. And it had a crochet. Like many of the benches above, this looked like a timber frame bench, but it uses metal fasteners for its strength. Using IKEA countertops for the benchtop seemed a clever move. I first scraped off the film finish from the countertops, then glued them together face to face to make a 3 inch by 24 inch by 96 inch bench top from beach. Sometimes IKEA sold them in maple. It was fairly cheap, about $300 for the two countertops. It didn't look half bad. I made a few other benches this way and concluded that IKEA needed to improve quality control. Many of the countertops were not even close to equilibrium as far as moisture content goes, and they were beech, a wood that moves a lot as it dries. So these countertops would twist and try to pull themselves apart, even when glued and screwed together. But the core idea, gluing countertops together, is valid. Look around your town for a place that sells or makes butcher block countertops. Visit warehouse stores that sell salvaged building materials. Maple countertops show up frequently, and they can be inexpensive. And if they salvage material, they have had plenty of time to dry. The downside to this approach is only the appearance. Wooden countertops are usually made with short bits of wood that are finger-jointed end-to-end as well as edge-to-edge. -edge. So they look like a patchwork of blocks glued together. To my eye, that looks wrong. But that's me. The base of the bench was made using Douglas fir 4x4s. The legs and stretchers were joined by lap joints that were secured with bolts, washers and nuts. As mentioned before, I'm not nuts about nuts when it comes to building benches unless your workbench has to break down to pieces regularly. The nuts were always coming loose on that bench, which was annoying. Pros An easy, inexpensive and fast way to create a hardwood bench top. Cons The finger jointed tops aren't very pretty. Be sure to check their moisture content, or let them dry for a month or two before laminating the countertops together. The base would be much improved if it were made with mortise and tenon joinery.
Milkman's Workbench 2013. Benchtop dimensions 1.5 inch by 7.5 by 30 and 1 8. Materials Maple. Joinery. The top is a laminated construction with a finger jointed and peg skirt around it. There is no base. This portable bench is essentially a cabinet maker's bench without a base. It is a portable bench top that you can clamp to a table or countertop. Made using maple, the bench features a wagon vise with square dogs in the end vise position, and the face vise is a series of wooden screws that press the work against the bench top. I bought several Milkman workbenches in 2013 for customers, and the bench is now made commercially, not by me. This is not a substitute for a full size bench. It was marketed in Denmark as a bench for woodworkers who didn't have a workshop. A woodworking friend in Denmark owned the original bench, which he had obtained from his local milkman. Hence the name. It's not a bad little workbench for someone who lives in an apartment, who vacations in a recreational vehicle, or makes small stuff. One caution, when you build miniature things, you'll find they aren't faster or easier to build than the full-size thing. The joinery is demanding and the wagon vise has to be precisely built to work properly and survive the long haul. Pros. Portable, lightweight and surprisingly useful. Cons. Too small for most full-size furniture work. The bench is demanding to construct, but the results are rewarding. French Oak Rubeau Project Bench, 2013. Benchtop dimensions, 5.25 inches by 21.5 by 95 and a half. Materials, oak throughout. Joinery, the base is joined with drawboard mortise and tenon joints. The top is joined to the base using the French tenon sliding dovetail joint. In 2012, Father John and Jamil Abram had benchcrafted, approached me about an idea they had. A woodworker and importer named Beau Childs had some enormous slabs of French oak that had been drying for 13 years or so. What if we got a bunch of people together at Bow Shop in Georgia and built some French benches with these slabs? I couldn't say yes fast enough. In July of 2013, we put on the first French Oak Rebeau project, FORP, in Barnesville, GA. This wasn't the first time I had worked with big slabs, but it was the first time I had done it with a big group of people in a commercial shop. Thanks to the first FORP and two subsequent FORPs, and writing a book with three slab-based workbenches, I've learned a lot about building workbenches with giant slabs. Think 6 inches thick, by 24 inches wide, but 96 inches long, or longer. The bench I use every day in my Kentucky shop was the result of the first four, so I do love the form. But slabs have downsides. But first, the good stuff. Huge single-piece slabs make the most beautiful workbenches. Because big slabs aren't perfect, they look like the antique bench tops I've seen in Europe. Knots, voids, splits, that's how the old benches look. If you don't like defects, stay away from slabs. My fork bench has seen 7 years of hard use and looks better than the day I finished it. Once the massive top releases a lot of moisture, they move very little. When we first cut into the 6 inch thick slabs, the interiors were shockingly wet. One moisture meter recorded 60%. That's too wet for yellow glue. We quickly learned that the so-called rules for drying lumber don't apply to thick slabs. In some cases, 13 years is not long enough. So what do you do? 
Our approach was to use the dry slabs in the stack, then cut the joinery and assemble the components as quickly as possible. If you dally, your components will move. Parts that once fit perfectly will not fit at all. Once you get the bench assembled, you have to endure some wood movement. The good news is that the assembled benches, with a firm framework below, tend to stay flatter than slabs that are unrestrained. The legs and stretches restrain the top, in my experience. The top shrinks around the joints, which helps hold the four corners of the bench top in the same plane. The top will shrink quite a bit once you get the bench in a climate-controlled workshop. If you use through tenons to join the top and base, you will need to plane down the ends of the tenons regularly. I suspect my fork bench top lost almost a quarter inch of thickness in its first three years. Wait, don't run away just yet. There's a happy ending to the story. Once the top dries, it hardly moves at all. For the last two years, the top hasn't moved much. Maybe one sixty-fourth. I love it. The downsides to using a single slab are mostly the difficulty of working with one in a small workshop by yourself. A 6 inch by 22 inch by 96 inch oak bench top that is filled with water is difficult for one person to move around. Assembling it yourself takes planning. I've done it several times however. Moving the finished bench in and out of a building requires assistance. The wetness of the slab can also interfere with your glue. If you have to glue up two slabs to make your bench top, the slabs might be too wet for yellow glue, PVA or animal glue. You might have to use epoxy. And though I use epoxy quite a bit, it requires some care. You have to mix it well. And sometimes you get a bad batch, which we did at the second fork. Part of me contends that if you are after a slab workbench, then you should use a single piece top because there won't be a difficult glue up to do. But the other half of me knows that a single flat sawn slab is more likely to twist than almost any laminated top. No matter what you decide, make sure the top doesn't have the pith running through it. It will split, and the split could be fatal. Despite all the downsides listed above, I still enjoy building slab workbenches. But I do it with a forklift, pneumatic mortiser, 24 inch Martin planer, and a group of people with sturdy backs. Pros. One of the most gorgeous benches I've made, mass in spades. Cons. Wet slabs can twist, even years later. Knockdown Nicholson, 2015. Benchtop dimensions, 2.25 inch by 22.5 by 72. Materials, yellow pine. Joinery. The top is laminated. The ends are joined with lap joints and screws. The remainder of the bench is assembled with 3 8 inch bolts and T-nuts. While I broadly prefer the timber frame bench form, I have a soft region in my heart for the Nicholson workbench. It requires about half the material of a French bench of the same size. It can be screwed together and be sturdy. Mike Simpson proved that in his Naked Woodworker videos. I wanted to make a version that was knocked down in preparation for teaching a class on the form in the UK, and it, cough cough, made for a good magazine article and cover photo. The bench was made using yellow pine and was held together with oversized T-nuts, bolts, washers and wood screws. The whole thing came apart to pieces in a few minutes with the ratchet set. Other than that, it was a standard Nicholson bench that would wobble if you didn't keep the bolts snug. The work holding was basic. A crochet on the front face of the bench 
and a planing stop on the bench top. There were holes for holdfasts and pegs on the bench top and front apron. Pros, cheap to build, especially if you omit the T-nuts and bolts and just screw it together. And it can be moved easily in almost any vehicle. Cons, it's a little small. The top is 22.5 by 72. And like its full-size brother, the apron gets in the way of clamping things to the bench top at times. Also, I wish I had joined the lower stretches and legs with a full mortise and tenon joint instead of notches and screws. The joints didn't come loose, but they aren't ideal for the long haul. Herculaneum Workbench 2016 Bench top dimensions 3 inch by 15 by 85 Materials oak Joinery staked Round tenons wedged into the bench top If you thought Holtzapfel was a mouthful, stay tuned. During research into early bench forms, I searched for the earliest workbench. No one has turned up a convincing Egyptian workbench to my knowledge. So the earliest benches I know of are images recovered from the Italian cities of Herculaneum and Pompeii, which were destroyed by the eruption of Mount Vesuvius in 79 CE. What was different about these staked workbenches was how low they were, about chair height. You sit on them while working. This bench form survives to this day, but not in cabinet making shops. The low bench is still found in some chair making shops and it is widely used in rural crafts. I also contend that the shaving horse is a low bench with the foot activated clamp. One bench, illustrated in a now degraded fresco at Herculaneum, was the bench that called to me. It had eight legs and was drawn with a holdfast. The second bench drawing from Pompey, which survives to this day, shows a four legged bench. The only work holding shown on the Pompey bench is nails. The woodworker at the bench, named Perdix, has restrained a leg or post on the bench top by wedging it between nails driven into the bench, and he is mortising the workpiece. This detail is particularly amazing because a similar wedging action is shown in a chairmaker's bench from the 18th century. M. Hulot's Le Art du Tournier Mechanicium from 1775 and even in chairmaker's benches from the 20th century, Chester Cornette and Dallas Bump, among others. I built the Herculaneum bench so I could be the first guy in Covington with an eight-legged bench. I had a blacksmith, Peter Ross, make the Roman holdfast, which looks like a candy cane. I also added a series of holes in the bench top for pegs and the holdfast. The pegs were used for restraining the work on its face and on edge. There are also two adjustable wooden planing stops at one end. Later, I added an early style face vise that had wooden screws affixed to the bench top and a movable chop that was secured with hurricane shaped nuts. As mentioned earlier, the Herculaneum bench is great for a lot of tasks where you sit, planing and mortising especially, and cross-cutting and ripping with full-size saws is a joy. I have yet to find a way to cut tavetails or tenon cheeks on it that is as easy as with a tall bench, but I'll keep looking. Pros, can be built in a day, ideal for many green woodworking tasks. It is also an excellent sitting bench or coffee table when placed in a living area. Cons, not ideal for high class joinery such as dovetails. Loffelholz Workbench 2016 Bench top dimensions, 4.25 inches by 19 inches by 83.5 Materials oak Joinery stake construction Wedged round tenons staked to the bench top. 
The second stake bench I built was a copy of the first known modern workbench, which was illustrated in a 1505 codex by Martin Loffelhaus. The bench is the first image of a bench that has a tail vice, a face vice, a twin screw vice no less, and a series of dogs. Unlike a modern bench, however, the bench top sits on four tapered legs that are staked into the top. They splay out like the legs of a chair, with no stretches between the legs. The tail vice and dog system uses iron bits that are filled with sharp teeth. The teeth hold the work tenaciously, but they also mark the end grain of your work. The twin screw vice uses hand threaded screws that are glued into the bench top. The vice's moving jaw clamps tight with two wooden nuts. I also cut two open notches in the bench top. These notches allow you to wedge work in place. There is more information on these notches in the section on vices. All the work holding on this bench works as well as any modern gear, and the bench is a 500 year old design. The entire bench was built with red oak that was fairly wet. It seemed as wet as the French oak slabs that were used in Georgia. When I drilled the mortises with an electric drill for example, we had to stop because it looked like the wood had caught fire. There was a huge cloud of smoke billowing from the hole. It wasn't fire. The cloud turned out to be steam from the moisture in the wood. I finished the bench. It works great. The crank wagon vice is very effective and the twin screw vice works perfectly. The problem was that the top twisted. Badly. Unlike the French oak benches, this bench has four independent legs that weren't restrained by stretches below. Two of the corners of the bench top bent up, two bent down. The bench still works fine for many operations, but visually the thing is a mess. One of the legs is propped up by more than an inch to keep the whole shebang from rocking. And I have a bench in my living room. I use it when we run classes in my workshop below and I need a quiet place to work. If I ever build another, I'll be sure to use drier wood. The main lesson here is, if you use wet wood, you are taking a risk. To reduce that risk, stretches are a great idea. Pros Though it's a stake bench, it has elements of a cabinet maker's bench and can be used for fine work. Cons You need to have the hardware for the tail vice made by a blacksmith. Adding a shelf below the bench top is not as simple as with benches with plumb legs. Solberg Workbench 2017 Bench top dimensions 3 and 7 sixteenths by 11 by 101 Materials Oak Joinery, wedged mortise and tenon joinery throughout. The other low and stake workbench I built was based on the oldest surviving workbench known. It resides at a restored Roman fort in Solberg, Germany, circa 187 CE. I measured the original and built a fairly close copy of it in my shop in Kentucky. The Solberg bench has four legs joined to the bench top with square mortise and tenon joints. The bench features a planing stop that likely had an iron tooth. Blacksmith Peter Ross made mine based on a stop recovered from Solberg. And there are two notches on one long edge of the bench, vaguely dovetail shaped. It's difficult to tell exactly because the bench was submerged in a well for hundreds of years. In addition to the Roman work holding, I added a removable clamping system that turned the bench into an effective shaving horse. I added a V-shaped Chinese planing stop called a palm that was adjustable up and down. I also added a palm that was nailed down. Oh, I almost forgot. 
I added a stop that chairmakers use to shave legs with the assistance of a bib, which was shown in her lot. The Solberg bench is functionally similar to the Herculaneum bench, aside from the accessories I added. What I love about these low benches is how adaptable they are. The book, Woodworking in Estonia, shows them in use by a variety of trades, from coopers to furniture makers to wheelwrights. They are a blank canvas for exploration and there's a lot more exploring to be done. Pros, easy to build, works in a variety of situations, including as a sitting bench at Thanksgiving, minus the planing stop. Great for carpentry and green woodworking tasks. Cons, a little more difficult to build than the Herculaneum bench because of the square compound angled mortises. As mentioned before, low workbenches are not the easiest bench for cutting dovetails. Ulmia workbench, 1970s. Benchtop dimensions 3 by 7 eighths by 18 and 3 eighths plus a 7 inch tool tray by 90 inches. Materials, beach. Joinery, the top is laminated, the base is attached with long threaded steel rods, washers and nuts. How the top is attached is unclear. I own a vintage Ulmia workbench and keep it in the shop. Some students prefer this bench, other visitors like to try it out before they decide which form of bench to build for themselves. This Ulmia is about as nice an example of a cabinet maker's bench as you can buy. It eclipses all the cheap commercial benches I've tried. It's on par with the high quality workbenches from Benchcrafted, Lee Nielsen Toolworks and Plate 11 Bench Co. The bench is heavy. The tail vise and face vise are solidly constructed and are driven by nice metal screws. It has a tool tray so the working area of the bench top is small, too small, and the base is the trestle form found on many cabinet makers benches. The legs are tendoned into the sled feet to create end assemblies. The two end assemblies are joined with wide stretchers. These are bolted together. I've had to tighten the bolts a couple of times. Aside from the tool tray, the other feature I dislike is the enormous tilting bin below its bench top. It's supposed to be like having a tool chest below the bench top that can hold an entire complement of hand tools, if fitted out properly. I honestly think it's a nuisance. We store appliances in the typical shop gear in here, and it doesn't hold much of that. The only modifications I've made to this bench are adding holes for holdfasts, and I built out the right hand leg of the bench so it is flush with the bench top. This allows us to hold doors and longboards with the help of a stout wooden peg. Pros, nice vices, stout construction. Cons, expensive to buy or to build. Cheaper versions aren't worth buying. The tool tray reduces the effective benchtop area. The tilting tool bin is not as effective as a simple shelf. Will Myers, Moravian Workbench, 2019. Benchtop dimensions, three and a quarter by 13 and three quarters, plus a 10 inch wide tool tray by 72 and three quarters. Materials, oak benchtop, yellow pine base and tool tray. Joinery, the top is a single slab, the ends of the base are joined with mortise and tenon joints and lap dovetail joints. The ends are joined to the long stretches using tusk tenons. The top and tool tray rest on legs poking up from the base. Will Myers built this workbench after a Moravian workbench at Old Salem Museum and Gardens in North Carolina. I consider this bench a hybrid of a timber framed workbench with some features of a cabinet maker's workbench particularly the fine vices and tool tray. The top is a single slab of oak, which is prone to warping like all slabs. 
Ours warped, but that's easily fixed with, duh, woodworking tools. The tool tray to the rear of the top is capacious, which is a plus or minus, depending on how you look at the world. The base is solid, the end assemblies are tenoned together. Then the entire base is joined with stretchers that are secured with tusk tenons. Tusk tenons are ancient and awesome technology. They can come loose at times and need to be knocked home in my experience. Keep up with the maintenance and your bench will never sway. The work holding is highly effective. The bench features a leg vise with bench crafted hardware including a crisscross. The end vise is a wagon vise which Myers manufactures that is simple and effective. It's an excellent bench, particularly if you need portability. The bench knocks down in minutes. The knockdown capacity is a minus for me, however. We move benches all the time, and lifting this one to move it across the shop floor is always a juggle. The top and tool tray come loose. We're going to remedy this soon. As far as functionality goes, the bench is a winner. I wish it didn't have a tool tray, but that might be because I make a lot of chairs. When you try to stand a chair on a bench with a tool tray, Life is not fun. Conclusion For my work, the best form of a workbench is four chunky legs joined by four stretchers that are paired with a massive bench top. I try to avoid metal hardware for joinery and use square mortise and tenon joints, preferably drawboard. The front edge of the bench top should be coplanar with the front legs of the bench. There should be nothing that stops you from clamping work to the bench top. No aprons, doors, drawers, or other awkward, but well-intentioned stuff. The workbench form you choose might be different than mine, but no matter which form you pick, or if you attempt to mate Mr. Nicholson and Mr. Loffenholz, the next step is to contemplate the joinery, set out the dimensions of your bench, and pick your vices. <laughs>